Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I am your host and coach, Tyler Johnson. Thank you for tuning in. And whether you've tuned in to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, you're in the right place. My guest this episode is a author, a coach, a podcast host himself. He's, in my opinion, a heart rate variability and recovery expert. We're already planning a part two to continue this episode because I love what he is all about. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, Justin Rothlingshofer. I'm outstanding, Tyler. How are you? I am well. I'm excited to have you on. Um, you are uh, uh, what I consider an expert on some topics that I, I'm very interested in, and uh, as well as the, our athletes and coaches listening uh, on recovery and so many other things on holistic lifestyle and performance. But uh, to get us started, share a little bit with our audience, just kind of a little bit about yourself and what led it to what you do now with Own It Coaching. Yeah. So uh, growing up in Canada, I was this hockey player that had the dream of playing in the National Hockey League and um, had a little bit of talent. I um, was playing with 14, 15 year olds at 12. And I still remember I'd been in a streak where I wasn't playing very well. Um, I was frustrated and I was driving home with my dad and he reached over and he put his hand on my leg and he said, son, talent will get you noticed, but consistency will get you paid. Mm. And it was that moment that I was like, I need to become the most consistent version of me. And what does that look like? What can I control? And so it really lit a fire inside of me to really figure out what that was. And so I wore heart rate monitors, pulse oximeters, uh, was reading every medical journal you could imagine, uh, was pulling in um, all of my raw data from my blood work samples from doctors that I'd gone to to try to just to understand it and understand more about my body so that I could then again, take it back to the glycemic index, to the things I was eating, to the things I was supplementing with, to the way I was training, the way I was sleeping, all of these things I wanted to have control over. And so starting that at 13 years old, the crazy thing was, is that like, I understood it. Like I got it. Like something clicked in my mind and fast forward now, six years going to uh, university coming down to the U S on a hockey scholarship. Um, I got my undergraduate degrees in, uh, exercise science and another in nutrition. And then from there, uh, got my master's degree in exercise physiology, uh, again, with a concentration, um, in sport performance and nutrition. And then from there, uh, during, while I was getting my master's degree, I got my massage therapy license, uh, followed by, um, entering into my postgraduate uh, research in heart rate variability, sleep and recovery science. And so in that whole journey, it wasn't until I got to Louisville uh, for my master's degree, working with men's and women's basketball, that I started to really start implement these things that I was starting to understand, which was HRV, which was um, uh, this holistic element of health. And I think for so many of us, we put performance up on this pedestal, this ultimate thing that we're seeking. 
And we believe it's an act. We believe it's something that we do, something that like one thing that's going to get us here. And that that end result is the is the key focus, let alone if we truly understood that we maximized health, mental, physical, spiritual, emotional health of the athlete, of the person, of the individual, the performance increases just happen as a consequence. And that was really this philosophy and construct that we put into place that over the course of um, the time at Louisville, uh, we ended up winning national championships uh, from there, went to Miami of Ohio, uh, put 15 guys to the NHL over the course of about three years from there, started working with the blue jackets, with the capitals, and then finally the Anaheim ducks. Um, ultimately then in 2021 started owning coaching and serving other people because I realized this wasn't just an athlete issue. This is a human issue, sure. uh, figuring out how do we create this holistic integration? How do we eliminate burnout? How do we, um, create a rhythm between stressing and overreaching and regeneration, but doing it holistically because the world yeah. has told us, Hey, it's just a physical thing. We work out, eat and sleep, work out, eat and supplement, work out, eat and hydrate, like all these physical things that we think health is, but yet we disintegrate yeah. the emotional, mental, and spiritual side of it. And yet we wonder why our health is disintegrating. Yeah, that's one of the questions I wanted to ask. You kind of touched on it. How do you define this holistic wellness? You know, that um, I'm a believer in it, but how, how do you define it? I know you touched on some of the, the categories there, but uh, what's that mix? And is it is it different? For, I mean, it's obviously a little bit different for different people. Um, but I think, how do you define that? And what's, how does the athlete figure out what the right proportions are for their performance and lifestyle? I love, I love this question. So when we're sitting here talking and I talk to a lot of strength conditioning, athletic departments, athletic directors, and I always open this up with, we all have We've all heard the nutritionists that say, hey, I'm a holistically integrated RD, or hey, I'm a holistically integrated functional medicine doc, or hey, I'm a holistically integrated uh, sports performance facility. And I often start asking more questions, and by the end of it, it's just another letdown. It's another lie that the world has ultimately put out there for us. Hmm. Holistic, by definition, means all or entire. Integrated means to make whole or bring together those pieces. Health is mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional condition. And so if we bring all those things together, if we're not talking about mental, physical, spiritual, emotional conditions, bringing them all together and dealing with them all at the same time, in the same vein, in the same avenue, with questions that are being taught and asked of the client, athlete, end user, we do not have the right to say that we're holistically integrated. We have not built that. And thus it's misleading. And thus it's another buzzword. And thus it's another marketing ploy that we fall into. And I see it all the time. The, the other thing that really popped out to me was when you talk about the definition of heal or healing Yeah. With anybody, I don't care if you're 25, 5, or 55, there's a certain level of healing that we're all looking for. That's what your health is all about. You have to heal something. 
And the definition of heal is to make whole or bring together, which is the exact same definition of integrated yeah. to make whole or bring together. I love it. And so the only way, the only way that we truly create a healthy individual is to bring together to make whole the mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional condition of the individual, of the athlete, of the client, and bring it to that center construct. And so as practitioners, as strength coaches, as athletic directors, as whatever it is, the business owners, if we are leaning on the holistically integrated side, we have to make sure that we're talking about and involving the mental, physical, spiritual, and uh, emotional capacities, because otherwise we're doing everybody a disservice. I think in that disservice, you've been around enough athletes, they're going to sniff out your BS. If you're oh, preaching yeah. that this is what we're going to do, and that's not the behaviors and the execution that's going on, um, it's just going to create some trust issues and, and a lot of things that you didn't intend by mislabeling your own agenda. <laughs> um, totally. And I think, uh, I mean, and, and I teach this and I educate this in a very like secular way, but um, my beliefs um, are in Jesus. Like that's where my foundation principles come from. Um, but I believe that we are all a bunch of souls having a human experience for however long you're here. And soul health is can be spoken about in the same vein as holistic health, all health together. And we have to understand that the soul is just the integrator of all of our experiences. And I believe that there's four components that we have to talk to, the spirit, the mind, the heart, and the body. And a lot of us just think, hey, we'll just come in at it from the body. We'll come in it from the body, come in it from the body, our habits, behaviors, and our lifestyle. But we have to come in from a top-down approach to truly be holistic. And what does that mean? Well, your spirit is tied to your identity and desires. Identity and desires. If you don't know who you are, if you're only the hockey player, if you're only the basketball player, if you're only the football player, if you're only the real estate agent, if you're only the entrepreneur, there's going to be a gap there. And your desires are going to be misled and your desires will not be identified in the way in which will be something that's sustainable for you and the behaviors and lifestyles that you're trying to implement. So we have to make sure that your spirit is whole. Identity and desires have to be rooted in the truth. Then that will ultimately renew your mind. It will renew the thoughts and beliefs that you have, the way that you think about yourself, the things that you believe about yourself, the things that you believe about the things that you should be doing, the things you should be engaging in, which will ultimately purify your heart, which will change your emotions. It'll make you truly inspired and and seeking this aspirational level of where you're trying to go and it will become sustainable and that lastly bleeds into your body establishing the behaviors the habits and the lifestyles that we're seeking the healthy action steps that we're wanting to do yeah. but we listen to it all the time these um uh, gurus that say hey you need to cold plunge every single day hey you need to get in the sauna hey you need to do your breath work hey you need to work out this way hey you need to eat this way hey you need to supplement this way hey you need to hydrate this way hey you need to sleep this way okay cool you've created a laundry list of things that are coming from the bottom up that might be good for me for a week for two weeks for three weeks right. but you didn't actually create any deep integration in me because i 
don't identify with any of these. You haven't attached to my spiritual core. Thus, it's actually caused a little bit of murkiness in my mind that I don't right. know what I believe. I don't know what I think. I actually think negatively about myself because I've stopped doing these and it's not sustainable for me. Thus, it's murkied again, my heart, my emotions. And now instead of being inspired and motivated, I'm frustrated and demotivated, which ultimately leads to inconsistencies within my habits, behaviors, and lifestyles. And so we have to come into it from a top-down approach, which now yields to the holistic component of stressors that we have. Your spirit, your spiritual stressors, your mind, your mental stressors, your emotions, your emotional stressors, and your body, your physical stressors. And remember, our body doesn't know the difference between mental, physical, spiritual, emotional stress. And when we look at it this way, that's the foundation of holistic health. So I heard some research the other day, they were talking about how they're finding out that the heart makes actually some more decisions than we think the brain does. uh, From the... uh, and I was like, oh, interesting. Um, but it kind of does connect when you when you see it's like, well, actually the heart and different things in the heart are driving some of the brain's performance. Um, and it kind of connects. I know you're kind of a master whiz when it comes to HRV. I am not. I've been wearing a whoop for maybe about three years. Um, but that was kind of my first introduction was getting that measurement and then learning about it and changing behaviors to manipulate the number and just seeing that number was motivating. I don't feel like I have a great understanding about it, but first, can you define for our listeners maybe what it is for those that don't know and measuring our HRV and then um, why it's so important to our recovery and sustainability? Totally, 100%. I want to touch on something really quick. That Please. study that you that you were talking about, it, it actually goes back to biblical principles where in the Bible, the uh, it actually talks about your heart 847 times it's mentioned in the Bible. Your brain is never mentioned once. And the unique part about that is your heart is synonymous with your mind. And the way that the mind works, and if we go through the construct that I just put forth, is your mind is your thoughts and your beliefs and your heart is your emotions. And so your emotions get attached to your mind, which ultimately influence your thoughts and beliefs and those things that you start to choose and decide. And so where that study actually came from was a very biblically principled space of saying that your heart is attached directly to your mind, which makes these choices and decisions. Because at the end of the day, your heart, we, we, Valentine's day, we have these hearts and like they, we think, Oh, there's so many great things. And like, we did make decisions with our hearts. No, what happens is your heart is just this piece of tissue. That's beating. That's throwing blood everywhere. But the confines of what occurs there and the attachment to the mind and how you make decisions and how you think and how you feel are ultimately what help your mind make decisions. And so that's, that's where that study came from and um, to touch on that, but going back into HRV, um, I love talking about heart rate variability. Reason being is it's the universal language in which our body's communicating to us, how we are adapting to stress and strain. And, I, I talk about this often where if we don't know the language to something, there's no way that we can understand it. And if we can't understand it, there's no way we can steward it. And if we can't steward it, we don't know how to fix it when it breaks. And quite frankly, we don't even know when it's broken. And so um, I, I tell this story where when I was um, traveling with my wife on our honeymoon and 
we landed a plane in Vietnam and uh, got off the plane. We flew from Atlanta. Uh, so we get on the plane. Everything's English. We land on the, we land in Vietnam and everyone's still speaking English, but we step one foot off and all the signs are in Vietnamese. Everyone's welcoming you in Vietnamese, the directions everywhere in Vietnamese. We've got 18 minutes to get from where we are to the, to uh, customs to get checked in, to basically make our shuttle to the resort and, I don't understand the language. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what direction to go. I don't know if to go left or go right, to go straight, to turn around, to just wait. If someone's going to take me somewhere. And I immediately got anxious, frustrated, and overwhelmed. And that's exactly how our body feels. We've never been taught the language of our body. And the language of our body is heart rate variability because it's telling us how it's adapting to stress and strain. And so all of a sudden your body's like, hey, Tyler, my HRV is really low today. I'd love you to do something. And you're sitting here going, bro, I don't have any idea what this is, what this number is all about, what this is for, where I'm supposed to do with it. And so you just continue keeping on, keeping on with the same habits, behaviors, and lifestyles that you've been doing for X amount of years. And your body gets frustrated. Your body gets anxious. Your body gets overwhelmed. And you start to feel certain symptoms. You start to develop certain things. And those symptoms are fatigue, overwhelm, anxiety, inability to sleep, weight gain that you can't, that you can't understand weight loss that you can't understand, um, uh, lack of energy, um, brain fog, nausea. This is how, how it ultimately starts to form. And what I call that is fake health. It's disease free, but symptom full. And this is where 95% of the population operates and 95% of athletes are in some way, shape or form that they can't recover. They don't feel good. They don't know why they, they, and it's like, oh, we'll just do this habit. Well, no, that's not the case. We have to get really personalized and understand what's actually happening inside. And so heart rate variability now gives us that guidance, that level of understanding. And if you go to the basis of like, okay, let's get really scientific here. What does heart rate variability do? What is it measuring? And if we sat somebody down and they had a resting heart rate of 60 beats per minute, we would think, oh, that's cool. Their heart must be beating at one beat per second. But that's simply not how our body operates. What will end up happening is our heart will beat as it has to. And if we're very parasympathetic, very relaxed, very calm, our heart will beat at random intervals, 794 milliseconds, 827 milliseconds, 723 milliseconds, 905 milliseconds. And after the course of 60 seconds, it will have beat 60 times. Conversely, you are more sympathetic in a stress state. Your body's like, hey, Tyler is under attack. We've got to start to regulate things. And it will go 805, 827, 815, 804, 832, 817, and start to regulate out those beats. And over the course of those same 60 seconds, it will beat 60 times. Somebody with a high heart rate variability means that you're in a more parasympathetic state. You're in a more rested state. You're more able and ready and prepared to take on stress and strain, where conversely, if you have a lower HRV, you are not as well recovered. You have not handled that stress as well as, uh, as, as, a, as another state, and you are not as prepared to take on more stress and strain. Now, 
when do we use heart rate variability? And I've consulted with close to a hundred different NCAA and professional organizations and everybody's getting it wrong because what I just went through, people are like, well, don't you want a lower, you're going to see a lower HRV when somebody's playing a hockey game or playing a basketball game or at practice or working out. And the, the answer is of course, because it's a stress state that you're putting them into and right. you want them to be in a, have a lower HRV because they're going to be playing some type of game. That's not when we measure HRV. That's not what we use it for. You can't measure HRV in game because it's in a stress state and try to predict how hard that game is for that athlete. It doesn't work that way. You can't look at HRV immediately after a game and say, Hey, how hard was that game on that athlete? Because it doesn't work that way. What has to happen is you have to look at HRV during the deepest sleep stage. Hmm. Basically when your body has no stressors happening around you that can ultimately conflict or change what that HRV measure would ultimately be. Because think about it, your alarm goes off, it's a stressor. Yeah. You immediately start thinking there's a conscious component of, oh man, am I late for something or, oh, that, and you're like, well, yeah, just lay in your bed and get your HRV. Cool. But the moment you become conscious is the moment that stressors start to take its place on you. And so we have to get HRV for a repeatable and reliable measure during our deepest sleep stage, which is obviously coming passively. And that's why I love whoop and aura and even sleep eight and, um, uh, sleep me's got a new, uh, HRV tracker that pulls during sleep, uh, sleep stages, getting HRV during your deepest sleep stage is the best, most accurate way to under and reliable way to look at how your body is adapting to stress and strain over the last 24 to 48 hours and how it can empower you to make different habits or different lifestyle or behavior changes over the course of the next day that can help you recover, help you get into a better state or say, Hey, no, we have to put more stress on you to be able to, to make sure that we're in this, um, better state in order to perform. Why would you tell an athlete that maybe just heard that and like, Oh man, maybe I don't know anything about this. Maybe I should start measuring this and learn more to find out, follow Justin and, and start digging in. But, uh, I know it changed habits for me. I think, uh, more consistent wake up and bedtime, uh, exposed, uh, just even how one or two drinks can ruin some sleep really quick. Um, and I think, and then eating and then, um, other practices that I do, you know, I think hydration and meditation, it, it was a lot of layered things trying to improve some of those scores or, or at least become more healthy is what I thought I was doing. But what would you say are some of the things that can help an athlete have a greater heart rate variability. Obviously, sleep is a, is a huge one, and often with younger athletes neglected. Um, but can you talk about kind of a couple of the things that can help us improve that in our recovery state? Yeah. So there's so the first thing. Anytime you're looking at HRV for the first time or getting a wearable device for the first time, um, I always say this: is every piece of technology, whoop. Aura, Fitbit, Garmin, Polar, Apple, uh, the Amazon um, wearable, whatever wearable device you're using, they all have to try to create differentiation within the space. And so they're all going to come out with an algorithm score, a sleep score, uh, recovery score, regeneration score, readiness score. Throw all those out the window. 
your red, your yellow, your green, throw it all out the window. It means nothing. At the end of the day, you want to look at HRV. You want to look at your HRV on the day versus your HRV average versus your HRV trend. Like, where are you at? Are you trending upwards? Or are you trending downwards? Is the HRV that you're looking at something that's within a range of what you're typically at or is it not? And HRV is independent to you. And so ignore all the other algorithms and all the other scores because it's just tech companies trying to create value for themselves and create sure, a differentiation. No Come back to the raw number. And then you have to understand that HRV is not good and HRV is not bad. It is simply a language. There's no good HRV score. There's no bad HRV score. If your HRV is low on the day, doesn't mean that you can't play. It doesn't mean that you can't practice. doesn't mean that you're going to have a bad, um, uh, a bad game. All it is doing is it's communicating to you how you're adapting to stress and strain and that it's going to empower you to make a decision that says, hey, maybe I have to focus a little bit more on my recovery for the next 10 to 15 minutes when I get to the rink today. Maybe it's um, that I have to do a longer warm up today. Maybe it's that I have to work a little bit more on my neurological activation prior to playing the game tonight to get myself going because I'm in a more parasympathetic state. Like these are the types of things that can start empower you to do rather than say, Oh no, low HRV are going to have a bad game and start to get into your head. No, that's why this metric is so misused, so misunderstood and so manipulated in how it's developed or how it's portrayed to athletes. And quite frankly, a lot of coaches that just creates confusion and doesn't actually start to help you. And so when you Think about it this way, that HRV is not good, HRV is not bad, HRV is just communication and information for you to now put into practice. There's really eight areas that can move the needle when it comes to HRV and having an impact on how you're activating sympathetic or parasympathetically in that rhythm space. And it's sleep, nutrition, self-care, environment, immune function, hydration, movement, and mindset. Those eight areas, because remember, let's go back to health is holistic, mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, mind, heart, spirit, and body. All of these things need to be touched and need to be tapped into, which is why when you all of a sudden start going and doing a breathwork practice or sitting in the sauna for some self-care or seeing the sunlight first thing upon waking up or watching the sunset later in the evening or going for a workout or getting seven hours of quality sleep or um, hydrating appropriately or giving yourself a custom immune protocol as you start to see a downward trend in HRV or eating certain foods at the right timing, it impacts your body in a big, big way. And it impacts the way in which your body can move. And so amongst those eight controllables, I've got 10 to 15 different habits that you can engage in that can empower you to make decisions and pick and choose based on how your body is adapting and which ones are going to be more influential for you based on the given day and how your body is ultimately communicating and responding. I, I love that the way you present it as a language. Cause I think I had another mental skills coach that was on here. I remember her talking about, um, we've all had it. If you, I talk to athletes, we've all had days where we felt like crud, but we did well. We did okay. Um, and we've had yep. days where we felt great and we did not have a good performance. And a I, tough I day. yeah, and I think that what I've also enjoyed of, of, I guess, listening to the language of HRV is, you know, 
it's also, I think, built some resilience and seeing that, oh, my HRV is low, but I could still go out and run my three miles in a pretty good time, you know? And I think it, just like you said, don't be too attentive to the zone that you're in because I, early on, I found like it could be like, oh, I should, I should scale back my workout where that was really not the case. I should scale up my recovery <laughs> and scale up. That's exactly, that's such a great point. And that's literally that where it comes from is like, you wake up in the morning and you see you're in red. Yeah. But you go to your HRV, you went from 65 to a 45. And this is maybe the first day that you've been down. And you're like, oh, can't, can't go run my three miles today. Can't go and perform today. Well, bro, it was actually because you had five beers last night and ate a steak dinner at... 9 30 at night <laughs> that constituted a poor sleep and that's what ultimately drove you into the quote-unquote red or the drop in hrv it has nothing to do that you shouldn't go run three miles nope. and that is why i love hrv for a storytelling component that's why i love hrv to be able to say hey what did it? What did my HRV do today? Did it go up or did it go down? What behaviors did I engage in yesterday? And can I give myself a check mark amongst seven of the eight controllables, eight of the eight controllables, one of the eight controllables? And what do I need to focus on today to create a different outcome for me tomorrow? Um, well, Justin and I did mention before, I want to have him back for a part two already. I know he's got some busy stuff, but as we wrap up this episode, one of the things I did want to touch on too is uh, you mentioned working with the different collegiate and NHL teams and pro teams. I know you're doing some spring training with some baseball teams, um, travel schedules, coaches, athletes, changing time zones, throws off our habits and routines that we like a lot that hopefully we get accustomed to. Um, but what are some things maybe, uh, I don't know, one thing I learned a long time ago was when I get to a new time zone, I usually go for a walk, get my heart rate up. Um, but what are some other things when you maybe travel to help get yourself adjusted to maybe the time zone so that you can hopefully get your routines as close to sync and putting you in that area of high performance that you're looking for? Yeah. So really simple. Um, really three things. Number one is um, as soon as you... Well, if you if you're gonna be in the location for twenty, pardon me, two days or less, stay on your native time zone. So if I'm going from Miami to LA and I'm gonna be there for thirty seven hours, a day and a half, I'm gonna do everything on my Eastern time zone. I'm gonna wake up on my Eastern time zone. I'm gonna to go to bed on my Eastern time zone. I'm gonna eat on my Eastern time zone. I'm not even gonna change my watch, and I'm just gonna imagine that I'm in Miami, still operating on that same space. Um, and so. Uh, that takes discipline. Um, it takes planning. It takes intentionality. Um, but uh, if you're going and you're staying for less than two, less than two days, stay on the native time zone. If you're going for greater than two days, adjust to the time zone that you're currently in. And the biggest thing that you're going to want to do with that is number one, you're going to want to see the sunrise and the sunset within your first day of being wherever you're at. Uh, so if you're going from Miami to LA and you're staying there for, let's call it uh, five days, that first night, I'm going to stay up to watch the sunset and I'm going to see the sunset. And once the sun sets, no matter how tired I am, if it's sunsetting at eight o'clock um, 
Pacific time and that's 11 o'clock my time. And I wished I was in bed an hour and a half prior. I'm going to watch the sunset and then I'm going to go to bed. That's resets your circadian rhythm to say, okay, now it's time for bed. 12 hours later, it's going to help wake me back up. So now all of a sudden I'm initially onto that new Pacific time zone. And then immediately then in the morning, I'm going to see the sunrise. So now you've shifted your uh, circadian rhythm really powerfully. The second thing you're going to do is you are not going to eat during times that you're typically sleeping on the Eastern time zone. Mm. What that means is even though I'm shifted onto a Pacific time zone, I'm not going to be eating at seven o'clock at night. Cause that's typically 10 o'clock when I'm sleeping. So I would make sure that dinners are somewhere around four thirty, five o'clock on the Pacific time zone, because our body's digestive system doesn't shift right away. And so there's 400 times more melatonin produced in the gut than is produced by the pineal gland in the brain. So we want to shift our eating schedule to make sure that we're not eating when we're typically sleeping. Um, and then the third thing we want to make sure we do is when we wake up, we're getting some form of light exposure, some form of water intake, some form of heat exposure and some form of um, a grounding experience in the first night or the first day that we're there. And so if we can hit those things, and again, pretty easy bullet points um, for either being there for less than two days or greater than two, it's going to eliminate jet lag in a really powerful way that will allow you to adapt to wherever you are, um, no matter what your circumstance. I got a two night, three day trip coming up at the end of this week. So I'm going to dial in a little bit of that, a little bit better. Put it in, put it into place and then put it into place and then report back because I I guarantee you're going to be like, man, I do some of those. So good traveling. Yeah. I do some of those. And then do the same thing when you come back. Yeah. Um, well, uh, last question before we wrap up this episode, I love your energy, love your enthusiasm, uh, about all these topics, man. I can see why athletes are you got to get them energized and excited and, and evidence-based and show them that this stuff works. Um, but what drives your passion for sharing all the things that you do and, and what brings you the most joy in it? It's a great question. I don't know if I've ever been asked that question before. Um, number one is this has been something that I just know it's my God-given calling. I know that that's, it's just what I'm supposed to do. Um, I understand things and can comprehend things and articulate things in ways that I are unexplainable. I don't know. Um, but number two is this industry has a way of changing somebody's life. It can change somebody's life for the better. It can change somebody's life for the worse. And there's so much crap out there that I see day in and day out. And money-making gimmicks and um, false science and just poorly articulated information that it really inspires and motivates me to create change because I was that person at 13 years old that wanted to know everything. And um, as I continue down that journey, I've experienced health in a negative way, being anorexic, having kidney failure, having liver failure at a 16, 17 year old. I've had, um, stress overloads start to create 
major gut dysbiosis at 26, 27, 28. Um, I've had, I've, I've felt terrible, low energy, low libido, low, all of these things at 30, not knowing what it was, but continued to be told I was healthy and only to realize that if I had just accepted that, that, uh, um, I wouldn't be here today because I had eight polyps that were all cancerous, the size of my thumb, um, in my colon that, um, only my continual persistence to get some further testing and exploration done solved. So I know what it's like to either be bolstered by health and wellness or be held down by health and wellness. And, um, my education, my experience, and I think everything culminated together and knowing that it's just my God given purpose is, uh, is something that just makes this an ever flowing and abundant space of energy to pour into other people and serve them in this way.